Welcome to another edition of the Inside Scoop. My name is Neil Crawford. I'm your host and also the founder of Anytime Soccer Training. If you're not familiar with the Inside Scoop, it's a podcast dedicated to helping parents learn about the soccer pathways that would be available to their child if they live in another city around the world. And this show is brought to you by Anytime Soccer Training. Anytime Soccer Training is the only training program with well over 5,000 training videos to cover all the major skill areas. Kids love the fact that the average video is less than five minutes long, has plenty of rest breaks, and is 100% follow along. Coaches can create teams and see that the kids are doing it. Parents have a one-stop shop to help their kids get better without breaking the bank. And club club directors can better engage their entire club with a platform that everyone is on, all the teams and everyone is on the platform um, for less than $5 per player per year. So check out anytime-soccer.com to learn more about the program. You can actually join the program absolutely free and get a lot of great free content. Now let's get on to the show. So before I jump into this show, um, let me explain that I always battle with my own self saying, Neil, why do you have this bad habit of going into a lot of detail about matters that are subjects that people probably don't care about uh, and trying to go into a, a lot of obscure nuance that likely won't help anybody. And I don't know why I'm like that. In this particular show, for example, spoiler alert, if you're a coach listening, it's probably not going to help you become a better coach. If you're a parent listening, it's not going to help you become a better sporting parent. If you're a ref, it's not going to help you become a better ref. And even if, even if that was the intention, I probably would not be able to accomplish accomplishment, accomplish it anyways. And it's not even going to help me build a better community. I just end up irritating people. And it's not going to help me with sales. So why am I even doing this particular show? Well, I have this sort of neurotic desire to close a loop on subjects and be as thorough as I possibly can and add nuance when I think nuance is needed, even if it's to my own detriment and even if it's a complete and colossal waste of your time and my time. And so that's what I'm gonna do today. Just chalk this up as uh, for entertainment purposes only. Now, in some previous shows, I talked about a simple algorithm that I taught my sons when they were really young and just starting in soccer to help sort of give them an overarching understanding of basic, basic tactics. And I explained to them, hey, the goal is to get the ball in space and that the ball and the mind should move faster than the body. And so given that, given that, there's a simple rule of thumb that I want you to remember, which is if you receive the ball in the middle of the field, more than likely the space is going to be out wide. And if you receive the ball in wide areas, just remember that more than likely the space is going to be in the middle. And when the space out wide or the space in the middle, in, in, when the space out wide or in the middle is closed down, there's a... 99% chance you could just turn the ball, turn around and pass the ball back. There's always going to be space right behind you. 
and using your common sense, if there's space in front of you, you capture that space. And that sounds like a lot. It sounds like a mouthful, but it really, really, really helped my sons. And they, they just do it on autopilot. And I explained that even if they did not understand exactly why they were doing it um, at the time, uh, the adults who were observing them and the kids who they played with began to hold my children in higher esteem. And then they were given benefits as if they were, they did have a soccer IQ, meaning they were given more, more, more leeway to take risks. They were promoted on certain teams. Kids wanted to play with them. Just the other day, uh, my son made some kind of pass and all the parents clapped, good job, good pass, good pass. All these kind of benefits I saw that they were getting. And then in a weird, uh, not necessarily weird, but in a counterintuitive way, they were then put into positions where uh, they were able, where they were relied upon to make even more and more decisions, which then created a uh, feedback loop. So an example would be maybe my older son is asked to play neutral, where he's always on offense and he's always he's always the pivot point person moving the ball, that kind of thing. And so then fast forward, when I started coaching recreational soccer for my sons, I noticed that the kids in recreational soccer who were same age, but less experienced, were playing bumblebee soccer, right? Where the kids in club in club world were a little bit more spread out and seemed to have some degree of tactical awareness. And so I just basically said, look, all right, I think there's a way for them to learn, develop, and have fun. And I don't think their learning and development and fun is tied to them playing bumblebee soccer. So what is a way that I can help um, remove some of the bumblebee-ness of the soccer game, at least for a short period of time, in order for them to, again, get the ball in space, distribute the ball to their friends, because I'll notice a couple of issues, right? And so how can we solve that problem? So another issue I noticed was uh, there was no trust among the team. So, you know, if a kid received the ball, the other kids had no expectation that they would receive, the, that they would get the ball. So it was no trust. And in addition to that, I noticed that the kids who were the strongest and had the most athleticism and just maybe had older siblings or had a higher inclination for the game would just dominate the games. And I wanted I wanted for at least a period of time, everyone had for everyone to get the ball in space and be able to do their little one v ones and that kind of stuff. And so I thought to myself, well, how could I help with this? And I can't. And I just took that algorithm that um, I used for my sons and applied it to the team, right? But the way I applied it to the team is I didn't necessarily explain to them if you get the ball in the middle, get it wide, and that kind of stuff because they would not completely understand that. So I was even more prescriptive about rules, all right? So I say, hey, these are your original positions. We play almost like a diamond where you have one defender, because they were really young, two, two wing players and one striker, and maybe a midfielder, depending on how many kids are on the team, but something to that effect. And uh, during the beginning of the beginning of most games, I would say, hey, guys, here's the rule. If you If you get the ball on offense, you have to pass the ball to the defender. And when the defender gets the ball, and I would have a separate conversation with them, basically they had to pass the ball um, either to the left winger or the right winger. 
And as you can imagine, in these recreational environments, kids would just chase the defender. And we had been working on this a little bit in practice, but not much, because but it, but it was really easy for the defender. And I would put my most skilled player in the fence at first. So that might be my sons, because I know they can handle it. Anyways, all the kids would chase the defender, and then the defender would get the ball wide, and then that wide player would have the ball in space doing their thing. And what it ended up turning into was basically a 2v1 uh, on the left side or the right side, which is what I wanted for a limited amount of time. Then, you know, I shared that on social media, blah, 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 and got a lot of feedback. And what I try to do is incorporate that feedback into future shows. Even though the, most of the people who listen to give the most show, I do think their feedback is reflective of what others would think. And so I just try to clarify them in the show. So then that got me to thinking, okay, I really need to define decision-making because one of the things uh, folks said is, oh, you want the kids to make decisions. And then they have this, in the coaching community, there's a preference for guided discovery. And I explained that uh, there are a lot of learning models and guided discovery is one of them. And it's an important, you know, um, you can adapt or you should adapt what you're doing to your own particular situation, right? So I don't, don't um, necessarily um, uh, have, I don't necessarily believe that one learning model or, or a delivery mechanism is intrinsically better or worse. It just depends on the situation, but it's pretty well accepted that guided discovery will help the child internalize the lessons that you're trying to teach them. And I agree with that over the long period of time. But in my, my case, I only had an eight-week season, and of that eight weeks, some of the kids didn't come to many of the practices, and, it, and they were absolute beginners. So I was under a bit of a time constraint. So then that led me to say, okay, let me, let me just break down how I view the framework I use for decision-making. Um, and it's also important to understand this is like a summary framework. You can go really deep into decision-making as well, but this is just a summary framework for the purposes of the show and how I think about it in the context of, um, of soccer, right? And so I, I said, hey, the framework that I like to use, the one that I um, read back in the day, and then the one that I kind of rehashed now, and I don't want to give the impression that I thought about all of this at the time I was doing it, but I did work in education for a while. So I, I always have that in my head, but also um, some of the things I felt like were intuitive, but I owe you guys, uh, uh, at least I feel as if I owe you guys an explanation since I'm doing a podcast to go into more detail, even though I don't think it's going to be particularly helpful or you're going to change what you're doing. All right. Anyways, so I said, hey, there's three. The framework I use is in decision making is part one. There's the perception and analysis of the situation. Right. And then the second part is processing and processing and making the decision, right? So you so you analyze the situation, you process the situation, and then you make a decision, the second part. And the third part is, is a self-assessment. So you reflect on the decision that you made, and hopefully that's going to create a, a feedback loop so that you can, um, so that you'll make better decisions in the, in the future. And then I went on to say, hey, that, what I just described happens in microseconds. And in addition to that, many decisions, just like, you know, making a left turn, making a right turn, whatever, they're pretty much on autopilot and don't require much of the brain's uh, capacity to do so, right? 
All right, so I said all that. Now, that's a summary of some of the stuff I've talked about in the past. Well, another piece of feedback was, oh, well, Neil, you're just joysticking the players. And in the previous podcast, I explained one of the things I like to do when I can is define terms because I think how we define terms and the details that we uh, uh, add to the terms can in the in the detail that we have that we add when we give these definitions, um, I think that can really help us make sure that we're on the same page. Now, I don't have a strict definition for how I would define joysticking, joystick coaching, but what I'm going to try to do is put it into the context of decision making, at least how I think about it. So, but first, I, I did a Google search on joystick coaching because I wanted to see, you know, what is the top sort of searches for what what do people how do people describe joystick coaching you know the most popular ways that people describe joystick coaching and as you can imagine i'm just going to read this one it's similar to how we typically understand it when coaches joystick their athletes they are trying to make all the moves for the athletes that can also be seen as an effort to exert too much control or an attempt to micromanage uh players Right. So they're trying to. Yep. Yep. So when coaches joystick their athletes, they are trying to make all the moves for the athlete that can also be seen as an effort to extent uh, exert too much control or an attempt to micromanage the players. And I'll read the second sentence. Doing this denies growth opportunities in decision making for the athletes. As players, as players and as people, and it can provide confusing information in contrast to what the athlete sees and knows from being in the midst of competition. And that second part is extremely important. So, and let me read that second part one more time. Doing, doing this denies growth opportunities in decision-making for the athletes as players and as people, and it can provide uh, confusing information in contrast to what the athlete sees and knows from being in the midst of competition. That in the midst of competition, what the athlete sees and knows in the midst of competition is very important. So let me let me go into, let me just actually getting my thoughts together as well. Let me go into it again on why on when I set up rules to, you know, that effectively said you got to get the ball to the defender, the defender has to get it wide or whatever. And then and when I coached 3v3, I had a rule for my son's team, especially when they went up, that you can't release the ball until you make at least one pass. Let me first put that that activity, my activity, into the context of the decision-making framework that I talked about. So what I was effectively saying, especially with my rec team, is they don't have the capacity at that age in general. So some kids will, some kids won't, but not you, not, not in a uniform way that will allow us to build trust amongst each other. They don't have the capacity at that age to handle the first step, definitely. So that to perceive and analyze the situation, right? That's a long way of saying they don't have understand tactics in that way. Their, their brain is not fully developed, so they're really thinking about me, 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 the ball. And even if they did have the ability to understand tactics in that way, which they don't, 
we don't practice enough. And even if we did practice it and they had the ability to understand it, we don't do enough reps where they would be able to execute in any way that was remotely close to what you would need to do as a, as a team. And that's why it's common sense at that age. Oh, and then one more thing. And even if they could do all three of those, right? So they could, they had the brain capacity to analyze the situation. They weren't also focused on me, me, me. And they were able to execute. Even if they could do all those things, we know that fundam- that their other higher um, priority, there are other things that you should prioritize at those younger ages, such as technical skills on the ball, there's a lot of science around the fact that they can acquire these skills easier at a younger age than they can as they get older. And the and the common sense and consensus says, hey, that's kind of where you want to start with that age, right? And so um, it's in that backdrop that I said, look, I'm not going to focus any time on helping them understand tactics in that way, other than some basic stuff about understanding space and that kind of thing. So in the games, what I'm going to do is just, I'm going to remove that calculation from them in this in controlled environment. I am going to, I'm going to eliminate the perception piece. I don't want them to have to think, to analyze the situation and then decide if they're going to get the ball wide or not. Because first of all, if they even try to do that and I left it wide open like that, um, there would not be a wide player for them to even get the ball to because that player who is wide would also need to understand that I need to get the ball wide. So I'm not going to go there. I'm just going to instruct them that the wide players, you have to get to your original positions and the defender, you have to pass the ball to one of those two. So I am completely removing that. And by removing that, that first higher level decision, I am now asking them to uh, make a di- make other decisions that I did not feel like they would even get to if we were just if they were just left to their own devices. And I hope this makes sense. So, in other words, the defender the dis- because the fin- because the defender knows that he or she is going to get the ball, uh, and he knows there's a hundred percent chance that his teammates are going to try their best to pass the ball to them, him or her. Happen to be a him, he in this case. So I'm just going to say he start with he. Um, his choices now were about getting into space, right? And he could be very, so I didn't have to tell him to get into space per se. I would remind him, hey, they pass you the ball, you need to get into space. But I did, not have to, I did not have to tell him where to try to get the ball in space. That was the decision I wanted him to focus on. Where do I need to move in order to receive the ball? And because the defenders knew that they, there was a 50% chance that they were going to get the ball, not the defenders, the wide wing players, and that percentage went up exponentially if the defender was close to them, then they had to start thinking about where should I be and how should I position myself in order to receive the ball, right? Because I can't just stand wherever I'm at and expect magic to happen. I have to get closer to the defender in order to receive the ball. Those are the types of decisions that I wanted them to make, which I kind of look at as individual decisions within a team environment. So in previous podcasts, I talk about development. I, and one of the things I say is an individual within a team context. And what I mean by that is that the wing player who is making themselves available for to receive a pass, this is not something they would do if it was a as an individual skill, but it's an individual skill within a team context that I wanted them to get. Now, they were very young 
right? So to the extent that I was able to, they were they were able to understand any of this or me being able to execute this, you know, the jury is out, right? Probably not, right? And you're only talking about eight weeks. But the way I tend to work with kids is with a long-term goal and long-term plan in mind. And that's just how I approach things. So I approach it as if, boy, I was going to coach you for the next 10 years. And these are some of the things that I would want you to get out of it, having not taken any coaching courses, right? So I'm just going to remove the, the perception piece, right? And then the decision making. And so that then means the decision making that I want you to make is it's it's more narrow on like, boy, if I pass this to the right, there's three people on the right, maybe I should switch the field to the left. More narrow, right? And the same thing with the 1v1. Boy, I got to receive the ball, get by this person. How am I going to do that? And then what we would do, what I hope for them is not necessarily for them to do an evaluate, not necessarily for them to do a self-assessment of what would happen um, from a broader perspective, but a self-assessment on how the game is working given these things happen. So I use a discovery place example where I said it's almost like you're tinkering with instruments. It's almost like you're tinkering with instruments in a science lab and you're just observing what happens when you do this and you're observing what happens when you do that. And I am controlling the activities that you can change, the variables that you can change. I am controlling those so that you can see the outcome. And then we have a reference point to talk about that. Well, how does that relate to joysticking? Because when you apply joysticking to this framework, the way I would like to the way I, I'm going to, the way I think about it, and as I think about it more and more, I'll try to come up with a more concise definition. But to me, joysticking is when the coach takes over the perception and analysis piece on behalf of the player and then gives verbal instructions on the decision that they want the player to make. So they, and then it's, but but it's when the objective, God, let me just say it another way. So it's when the coach takes on the uh, perception and analysis piece of the decision-making on behalf of the player, right? And then gives verbal instructions uh, to direct that decision. And this is normally done with a high degree of volume and an, intent, an intention to improve performance. And so it's, when I say it's normally done with a high degree of volume, that tries, that tries to control for, you know, the, the one-off here, one-off there, or the situation where, you know, you're really trying to be very specific to a player to keep making the same mistake and you you go in and say, hey, I've watched this a couple of times, but I really want you to do this. So no, I'm not talking about you giving some instructions every once in a while, but we're talking about a high degree of volume and normally it's done to improve the performance of the player, right? But the, the separation of what I'm trying to, the distinction I'm trying to make, and this is the nuanced point is, if you use constraints like I'm trying to use in this case, and I'm agnostic about if these constraints are in a game, what adults consider to be a game, uh, a structured game versus practice. I'm agnostic about that. When you use these constraints, in my opinion, you're just asking the player to make a 
separate set of decisions based on constraints that you have put in place. And you put these constraints in place in order to create an environment that's more conducive to those that next level of decisions that you want them to make. Oh, so I hope that makes sense. So let me give you an example. It's not uncommon in younger age groups for them to have a rule. Um, there are a lot of rules, but there's a couple of rules. They'll have a rule that says the keeper cannot punt the ball, right? The keeper can't punt the ball. And I don't know the, all the logic behind that, but to me, that's a rule. So even if the coach, see, let's say that wasn't a league rule, but the coach decided that they're going to implement that rule, right? Keeper can't kick the ball, can't punt the ball. To me, that's not joysticking because the coach is not step is not asking the player to evaluate the situation, right? Then the player may deem that the best course of action is to punt the ball. Maybe the other team is putting on a high press, or maybe they don't trust the defender, or maybe they see something. And the defend and the and, and then the player deems the best course of action is to punt the ball. And then the coach steps in and says, no, I want you to pass it out of the back. Or, yeah, so I can't say any other way. Or the vice versa. The best course of action is to pass the ball to your defenders, you know, pass it out of the back. And you see something there. And the coach jumps in and says, no, punt it, punt it, punt it. And they're doing that at a, such a high volume in an effort to increase performance or improve performance. To me, that's joysticking. So another example could be, um, yeah, no, that, that's, the, that's the best example. I don't need to give another. I was gonna talk about the build up one, but that's a good example. So when you have this rule that says the, the, uh, the goalkeeper can't punt the ball, now you're telling the keeper, you're not gonna have to evaluate whether or not it's the best course of action to, uh, you know, ping it short or get it to your defenders or hold on to it for a little bit or dribble up. You don't have to, we don't want you to evaluate that. We've taken that option completely off the table. Now what we want you to evaluate is the best way in this particular case to start the, start the um, offense from the back. And there are many, many choices you have to start an offense from the back. You can pass the ball uh, to your number six. You can pass the ball to your uh, left or right back. You can hold the ball. You can fake one way, switch it this way. You can ping it a little bit to your um, to your wing player who's playing deep. You can do all of these things, but we just taken off. We just taken away one particular decision because we really want you to get reps on these other decisions. And we want the players in the back, the defensive half, we want them to get reps, a lot of reps in a real game-like environment in those positions, uh, in those uh, same situations as well. Well, that's effectively what I am trying to say I wanted to do with my um, recreational teams, right? I, there are other decisions I wanted them to make, and I knew they would never get to those decisions if I did not have, uh, did not impose these constraints, but I had to be a lot more descriptive about these constraints, which I call rules, because if I left any um, ambiguity, I hope I said it right, then it would never happen, right? So I had to be very clear about the rules because I needed the other players to have absolute trust. So that meant the 
uh, defender knew I had to pass it right or I had to pass it left, but they would decide that. They would decide how long they could keep the ball. They would decide, again, who they would pass it to. Then once they got that down, then you start losing it and saying, well, you also can pass the ball in the middle, but you have to release the ball to somebody. All of these things. And then in a training environment, what we would do is we would have those same rules, but again, the wing players would be on the outside, right? And they would be there would be a line to keep them on the outside, and no defenders could take the ball from the wing players. So then what you're explaining to your defender is, hey, this makes the most sense. No, I'm sorry, yeah, you have the central defender. If you can get the ball to the wing players, it's safe, right? And then if the central defender was just learning and and uh and not particularly experienced, you may put them in a space where no one can take the ball from them and you're helping them relax. To me, that's 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 not joysticking in because you're because what we're trying to do is limit their options, right? So that they can focus on making particular decisions. Joysticking to me is stepping in and evaluating. So to put this in a, I guess to put this in a bow, I'm actually thinking about it out loud. It would have to be a situation where I where I believed that the defender had the capacity to understand that everybody's playing Bumblebee and he doesn't want to do that. And he's evaluating the situation and playing Bumblebee in the way that I think about it. So in other words, I get the ball, I dribble through the middle of the field as fast as I can, a mile a minute, is a viable option. And um, therefore, I'm going to be looking for other options. And then I step in, right, from a different vantage point and tell the and then tell the player to pass the ball wide uh instead of allowing them to play bumblebee even though bumblebee might be the best option for them at the time where i was basically saying hey i'm gonna i'm gonna remove that part of the equation for a moment and because i want you to see what happens when you get the ball wide and then we're gonna have a reference point to talk about it when you go back to bumblebee and even that is not going to quote unquote stick because again, they're really young and I only have a certain amount of time with them. But over the eight weeks, I did start noticing the kids begin to understand space a little bit better. And um, even if they did not understand exactly what they were doing, they were getting the ball in space in 1v1 and 2v1 situations, which is what I what I really wanted them to do at that level. All right. Again, I don't know if this made any sense, but I thought I would drop it. Uh, this one is on joystick. I would joystick coaching. I would love to hear uh, what I would love for coaches to go on, come on and tell us what they mean by joystick coaching, how they define it, give us examples. So to put this in a bow, what's typically, what typically is said about joystick coaching is the coaches for all practical purposes, telling the players what to do. And what I am trying to say is, for all practical purpose. And, they, and then they also say they try to make the decisions for them. And that stunts the player's ability to uh, make their own decisions. And what I'm saying is, of course, that's true. But when we look at the framework of decision-making, what I'm saying is I want to, for, for moments, I want to use constraints to remove a few decisions to force them into other decisions that I think uh, it would be difficult for them to get into without removing this initial constraint, especially at the repetitions that I want. 
So when the in a three v three situation where we're winning, I remove this ability to release the ball before you make a pass. That forces them into a one v one or one v two situation, and I'm not worried about them some kind of way leaving this environment thinking, oh, if it's one v two, I still take this player on, because the player knows and I know that neither one of us are evaluating whether or not they should release the ball or dribble. Now they're evaluating, how do I get by this person and then pass the ball? And what does that look like? How do I beat these two people who are on me or at least one of them in a two V one situation? How do I at least beat one of them and release the ball? And what happens in a one V one situation? If I do lose the ball, um, you know, how do I, how fast do I track back? And if I'm a offensive player and I know this person, my defender, sorry, my teammate has to beat somebody one v one. How do I think about that and how do I react to that? And where do I where do I position myself to help with that or cover this person in case they lose the ball? That those are the decisions that I wanted them to focus on because it was a counter to their normal team environment. And uh, but at the same time, it was clear to them that these were decisions that were that we made that we put them in or choices that I gave them by manipulating the environment. All right, guys, this is Neil Crawford, Anytime Soccer Training. Let's get better together.